Okay, welcome to episode 8 of the Nerds Landing Podcast. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Scott. Alright, so this week we're going to talk quite a bit about video games. Um, as always, fall is the biggest time of the year for games. And uh, we've been playing a lot of stuff, and then we have some more stuff coming out here in a couple weeks. And we're even going to talk about our own personal history of video games a bit. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about you know some movie news. Uh we're both big Star Wars fans, and it was announced today uh, that J.J. Abrams, director of Star Wars Episode Seven: Force Awakens, is going to be back for Star Wars Episode Nine. How do you feel about that, Scott? Oh, it's huge news. It's absolutely huge. I, I cannot... Well, I already couldn't wait, but now I definitely cannot wait. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a, it's a combination of a safe idea and a great idea. Um, I didn't really understand why he wasn't going to be back for episode eight anyway. Uh, maybe they were just trying to spread the wealth, get some different directors in there, see what you know they might bring to the table. Uh, but when <laughs> JJ did such a good job on episode seven, I don't understand why you wouldn't want him back for all three. Yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting business move, to say the least. Uh, I'm uh, my main concern about switching with directors is, is really changing the whole feel yeah. of the movie. Continuity. Uh, which is um, something that worries me. I, I, yeah. I really want it to still feel like one story. Well, to be fair, uh, George Lucas didn't direct all six of the original films, I don't believe. Uh, but he, when he's the main writer and producer, and you know, surely he was involved with the directing on some level. So I think you need that consistent voice, uh, you know, that somebody like JJ brings to the table. Um, it's just kind of a big deal too because they fired their director for the Han Solo project, and then they fired their director uh, for uh, Episode Nine. I think they just need the stability, you know, of the JJ brings. Yeah, I, c- I could see that, and I, I definitely think that uh, he's he's going to make Episode Nine that much better no knock on the director that they had but i mean this is jj abrams i'm talking about. yeah and uh, i'm anxious to see how uh, episode eight turns out uh, now in a couple of weeks here we're going to do a full-fledged star wars episode where we talk about our favorite movies from the franchise and uh, do a ranking from worst to best uh, but just so far uh, with the new movies that have come out in the last couple of years uh, did you like episode seven better, or did you prefer Rogue One? That's tough, man. That's that's a hard question to answer. It probably uh, changes from week to week, day to day. Rogue One is amazing. I I love Rogue One. I love the way that they ended Rogue One. Yeah. Um, because you know, when you look at a standalone Star Wars film, you're like, how's this gonna really? If you're incorporating, how's it play? yeah. You're incorporating the main storyline. You're incorporating the Death Star plans and whatnot. Well, those characters don't exist in the canon. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool how they kind of tied that together. Spoilers. Um, not everybody makes it out alive. Um, um, technically, <laughs> nobody makes it out alive. Leia does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's true. Leia uh, makes it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty, that's pretty much it. But I, I really like, in its own right... Um, Rogue One's got a special place in my heart, but yeah. it doesn't top seven. Well, seven was so good. 
I guess the one thing that I like about Rogue One is that if you just change a couple little things about it, um, it really exists very well by itself. Uh, it doesn't have a lot. It still has some, but it doesn't have as much added baggage uh, to the uh, you know to the film in general. Uh, if you just take out, like for example, if you played Rogue One and then just skipped right ahead to the original film, A New Hope, imagine how fucking good you know that movie would be. Yeah, sure, it'd be like four hours. But those two pieces together make a perfect movie. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Now, now if you look at Force Awakens by itself and you have no context for what's going on in the movie, you won't know anything. Um, Now, I believe in fan service and I believe in, you know, continuing a story. But I also think that movies, especially movies, should be able to... operate in a space of their own. I agree with that. Um, You you know, but some of my favorite movies kind of leave things open for sequels. They kind of, um, you know, there's some background that's needed. Yeah. Uh, But I do agree with you. Um, You know, you look at movies kind of like, you know, Fast and the Furious now. Right. Um, you know, is it nice to have the backstory of the characters? Yes. Yeah. I have that backstory, so it makes the movie, you know, more fulfilling for me. But do you need it? No. And I think that's yeah. the middle ground that you have to kind of reach. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what I'm looking for in that every Fast and the Furious film ends with the idea that that could be the last movie. And... I think that that's probably one of the things that's lost um, in modern cinema now because um, we have so much access and so much information about you know the direction that movies and studios and you know we know who's directing, we know who uh, which company is producing, we know which stars are in the movie. Um, so it's just harder to operate thinking that this could be the last film or something like that. And for me, it's almost shocking to think that they're going to end that particular Star Wars story with Episode Nine. Yeah, you know, they say that that is a uh, a trilogy by itself, but you're building up a world again, and they're just going to stop that world. I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I, I think that Episode Nine is the end for now. But Disney's going to milk that cash cow until it's dry. Yeah, I mean, they could give us a new Star Wars movie for another 20 years, and I don't think, as long as they're good movies, nobody will complain. Exactly. I mean, people love that universe. I love that universe. Um, So even if it has nothing to do with Luke or, you know, Leia, anything like that, I'm I'm cool because, you know, who doesn't like lightsaber battles and pew-pew gunshots? I, I think the difficult thing now with that uh, particular trilogy that they're working on is that it's all coming at us so quickly. Um, there was a time when you didn't get the next movie every other year. It might be two years or three years. So you're expanding um, a universe, I guess, in our world, 
out to nine or ten years. Whereas we're going to get an entire Star Wars trilogy in six years. Yeah. Plus Rogue One, which is a fantastic movie. And then a Han Solo movie, which I think, sure, it will be successful uh, at the box office. But, you know, my hunch is that it's going to be the worst of the movies. You think? I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it, but I think that some of the actors that they've chosen aren't going to fit the world very well, uh, except Donald Glover. Donald Glover is going to be great. See, I try to, um, with the standalone Star Wars movies, just because uh, Rogue One was a little different, um, because, you know, all we knew was it was about fighter pilots during the rebellion, you know? Yeah. Whereas this next one's going to be a Han Solo movie, and that character is yeah. established. So you're, we know that character. So you're fucking with stuff that uh, we already like. Right. So um, I think that is an advantage and a disadvantage. Yeah. And so, like, with Rogue One, I went in there with... I didn't watch a single preview. Didn't right. read a single story. Like, I was blind well, for a fresh perspective. And to be and fair, just, you know, they, they hit it much differently than they did... Um, episode seven. You you couldn't get away from the marketing on episode seven. Yeah, and I remember having to seek out a trailer for Rogue One just to kind of get an idea of what it was about. Um, I think they were slightly afraid that it was, you know, something that was uh, going away from the installments of the story. Uh, no real big name actors other than. Oh. Um, not Lawrence Fishburne, the uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker was in it, uh, but he's in it such a short period of time. Um, I think that they were struggling with the idea that, yeah, they're going to sell this movie, but only because it's a Star Wars movie. But I can see that. I, I often wonder if they knew exactly what they had, because I think you put that, mo- uh, that movie against any of the top movies in the franchise, and it's almost better if not better than all the movies oh it's i mean it's better than all the prequels well so I that, mean, uh, that automatically puts you right in the middle um, yeah i'm not even sure if i own the prequels anymore <laughs> I, mean, I think that that kind of gives a a pretty good uh preview of what our uh star wars movie rankings are going to be like yeah um yeah the most difficult uh, discussion will be oh uh, <laughs> where do those three rank against each other? Which one is the worst one? Which one is the best one? But we can save that for later if you want. <laughs> um, other movie news. Uh, it, Stephen King's It, uh, had the largest opening uh, for a horror movie ever. Uh, broke all kinds of records for uh, September. Uh Broke records for horror movies, R-rated movies. It's a, uh, it had the second biggest R-rated opening uh, behind Deadpool. Uh, what I like about the way that they released the movie is they released it in early September. Yeah. So it doesn't have to fight with other horror films that yeah. are going to be coming out late September, early October. You know, it, you have no um, other movies that you're like, um... I really want to get scared. Yeah. What, what do I see? Yeah. This is what you see. Uh, so I think they were very smart in selecting their release date. And yeah. uh, you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet uh, because I'm chicken. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't want to see it 
at nighttime. Well, um, I can attest that uh, seeing it and then, you know, trying to come home and go to sleep, you know, wasn't particularly easy. Uh, it worked out for me. It didn't work out for my significant uh, significant other at all. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a creepy movie, um, you know, by design. And, you know, there's just so much stuff that happens. And I guess I don't want to spoil anything uh, about the movie for you or for anybody else, but um, it's one of the probably one of the longest horror movies I've ever seen, if not the longest. So by the time that movie is over, you are ready for it to be over. Okay. Uh, well, the original like TV series or whatever that they turned into a full fledged like disc DVD movie uh, that was super long too. And just think yeah. like this this it is just part one. Right. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that until a couple of days or maybe even the day of uh, going to the movie. So um, <laughs> there's a part of me that's excited for it and there's a part of me that's not excited for it because it was, you know, some of it was hard to watch. Um, well, not, not because it was, huh? Well, now you're sucked in. Like you, yeah. you have no other option yeah, but to watch part yeah, two. Yeah, there's some investment in the story. Uh, but I'll say that if you're a person that's on the fence about it, you know, go see the movie. Uh, maybe don't go alone. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the scariest movie I've ever seen, but I will say it's one of the most memorable movies I've ever seen, you know, because of the look of the characters and then, uh, the setting is great. Uh, so I definitely recommend it. If you're a person that doesn't like scary movies, uh, you shouldn't see it, you know, but if you're a person that can, you know, handle a little bit here and there, uh, like you watch Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, See, I'm real weird about my scary movies. I yeah. I can't stand really the por- paranormal type stuff. Like yeah. is that like Annabelle can't do it. Um, Annabelle yeah. horror can't do it. Okay. But I'm all about like suspense. I'm cool with suspense. Yeah. I'm cool with uh, slashers um, and thrillers. It's just yeah. you know as soon as possession gets thrown in there, no, I can't yeah. do it. So your issue the last few years is that most of the slashers and suspenseful movies like that have really uh, not been in vogue. It's been more of the uh, possession or more of the paranormal, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Evil ghosts, that exactly. type of thing. Yeah. And and really, if you look at the more recent slasher type flicks, yeah, it's been remakes. You know, I've already heard yeah, that story. Because I've it's, seen that tale. It's, um, I think that the reason that the paranormal films do so well and they make so many of them is not that they're not creative because anybody that writes a movie is doing something creative, in my opinion. You know, nine times out of ten. But you don't have to create uh, an intense visual experience, you know, other than the setting of the film. Uh, you know, when you create Michael Myers, Jason, uh, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger, you have to create something visually that sticks with you. And I'll tell you this, uh, when you see it, it sticks with you. Um, uh, but you know, if you like Stranger Things, I would say, and a lot of people say the Stranger Things is, you know, kind of an offshoot of it. Because there's a lot of uh, relationships, a lot of you know young actors in it that you know build these characters and their bonds with each other, and then the, <clears throat> that's juxtaposed against going after the monster or facing their fears. <clears throat> so I would say it's 
definitely one of the most memorable movies of the year uh, for me. But uh, all the good stuff it seems like came out at the beginning of the year, like uh, like Logan and Star. Uh, you know, Spider Man was a couple months ago already. So um, now you've seen the movie. Let me ask you the most important question. Okay. Who wins biggest forehead? Pennywise, Peyton Manning. Oh shit, Peyton Manning. You think? Really? I mean, all the pictures of Pennywise, man, like that hairline is non-existent. That's the biggest forehead I think I've ever seen in my life. Now, like he looks like a, a waterhead. Now, in my imagination, it's it's Peyton Manning because you know the difficult thing about Peyton Manning is that he always had that goddamn uh, helmet on, so it made his forehead all red and made it you know impossible yeah. to miss. Right. But more than likely, Pennywise. Pennywise has like a like the head the size of a bowling ball. So. Um, Anyway, uh, when you go see it, let me know. Then we'll talk about it. Um, I even kind of want to see it again, but I don't know what the point would be because I know where everything's coming. Right. Um, but I will say the best part of seeing that movie was seeing it in a big crowd, hearing other people react, and seeing other people get freaked out. Oh, I mean, I think that's the best part of any movie, <clears throat> honestly. And um, just to touch back to our personal histories a little bit, uh you know, seeing that movie and being there that night reminded me um, of when horror movies would come out at the theater that we worked at. Oh, man. <laughs> Those were, like, the the dreaded nights. Yeah. You know, like, we had prom night, which was just oh, terrible was, crowd. I forgot about how massive that was. Uh, we had Black Christmas, which was we, a really... I don't, we weren't there We weren't Black there, Christmas, but, but we heard the tales. Yeah, it was um, it was legendary in a terrible way. The Friday uh, remakes, the Halloween remakes. Friday? Yeah, they had a... Um, I thought oh, they, Friday the 13th. Yeah, gotcha. Friday the 13th. Yeah, um, um, I then, think the Halloween remake, the first one, was probably the most intense crowd I ever dealt with. Yeah, and then and they then, had... Uh, the uh, Hostel movies. The Hostel movies, the Saw movies... Oh, yeah. We probably must have had four or five <laughs> different Saul movies come out while we worked there. Yeah. Um, not to mention that one random Nightmare on Elm Street remake that they... Did you see that? I did. It was very weird. Did you see that with me? And, Maybe. Uh, and my ex-girlfriend? Possibly. Most likely. Okay. We saw a lot of movies together, Josh. Uh, yeah. I mean, we yeah. saw them for free. Well, yeah. I made a list a while back of how many movies I personally saw either while working or you know during my off time it's stretched to like 285 or something like that something ridiculous um I guess what I remember most about that was that it felt like you were getting ready for a big game you know, when those movies came out because you knew you were going to have uh, people complaining uh about the kids and kids that you know, were not old enough were going to be in there uh, and uh, when watching it the other night, like 10 minutes before the movie started, like a fight almost broke out over seats. You know, people uh, people uh, saving too many seats. And I was like, yeah, this feels familiar. Yeah. Because you got the meathead motherfucker who, you know, goes to two movies a year, and this is going to be one of them. So he's going to start a fight because somebody is just trying to take somebody's seat. Right, yeah. And um, I don't know if you remember, but like, those movies were bad in themselves, but what made the movies, what made or break our shifts during those movies was the people that we worked with, because it's, 
you get separated from the pack. You know, you're the good workers, the mediocre workers, and then the people that just suck. Yeah. And if you got stuck with somebody that sucked on a horror movie release night. It's going to be a long night. This, you, yeah, it's going to be a long yeah. night. Because you're going to do all the work. The theater's going to be sold out. 200 yeah. plus seats, and you're going to clean the whole thing by yourself. Yeah, and um, it, what I remember is if I wasn't cleaning, I was usually working podium on a night like that because I was a little bit better at the crowd control. Um, you know, making sure people didn't run through and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you're listening, I know we talk quite a bit about working in a movie theater, but it kind of shapes your entire pop culture sensibility. Yeah, it, you know, it the, really does. Like, we, we kind of have a warped uh, sense of movies. It's because we got to see movies for free for so long. Yeah. It's like one of those instances where it's instead of, oh, that movie looks good, and we kind of compare it in our minds, would I pay for this? Yeah. Which is uh, yeah. pretty bad. And um, I'll admit, I haven't been burned very many times. Uh, you know, because uh, after you see a, a couple hundred movies and most of them aren't that great, because there's nothing nothing funnier than when you go to a movie for free and you feel like you should get your money back. Oh, yeah. We, was, had, we had a few of those. Yeah. we had, I mean, Love yeah. Guru yeah. was definitely top so, of the list. So, you know, I can, I can tell with a preview if a movie's going to make money or not uh, at this point. Like, you knew it was going to make money. You know, what... And I, I think what sucks is that what's bombing are comedies. People aren't going to see comedies anymore. Yeah, which is which is unfortunate because some of my favorite actors yeah. really really make their mark in the comedy genre. Yeah, you know I I love Jason Segel, Paul Rudd, like all the all those guys. Um, that is fantastic. And what have we seen Jason Segel in lately? Really nothing. I think the last movie we saw him in was the one where he played um, uh, David Foster Wallace. And Jesse Eisenberg played a... Yeah, that, I mean, we saw that together. I remember yeah, me and you seeing yeah, that. That was, was good. That was a good movie, but it wasn't really a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's this stigma that if you do comedy, you're, you aren't good enough to do other roles. Because uh, look at how many guys have gone to do serious work. Yeah, uh, I mean, Jim Carrey tried it. Yeah, uh, um, of course, Jason Segel. And then yeah. you know, probably the biggest one is Jonah Hill. Yeah. Uh, because he's so good at both, it, it kind of negates everything when, you know, the one of the funniest guys in movies uh, doesn't seem to want to make comedies anymore. Uh, and Jesse Eisenberg, who I think is a pretty funny actor, uh, starts playing Lex Luthor. Yeah, I think, um, he's, uh, I think he's kind of underrated when it comes to comedy. Like, he's, yeah. he's a better Michael Sarah. Uh, I think that he's probably a, a better overall actor than Michael Sarah, but Michael Sarah knows where what his role is, you know, the kind of the quirky, offbeat type of character. Um, so what they what they're saying now, what I, everything I've been reading is that they're going to put um, the most of the good comedy writers are putting their effort into television, because that's where the money is. Um, you know, because if you're lucky enough to get a network show that's picked up beyond one season which is rare now you get it in the syndication and you get keep getting paid or you go to Netflix and they let you do whatever you want uh, all the movie studios care about now are 
sequels, sequels, sequels. So hopefully, you you know, everything's cyclical. You know, maybe in a couple of years we'll be back to, you know, comedies. I hope so. Well, we've gone a pretty far distance about <laughs> getting through our main topic uh, this week, uh, which is uh, Destiny 2. Uh, came out about a week ago, right? Yeah, it came out um, the 6th? 7th or 6th or 7th, yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, just a little background. I played the first Destiny. Um, I bought it. There was a cross-buy deal where you could get it on PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. Um, I played, I want to say, 15 hours in it, of it, and then uh, they had so many things come out, and then they had all the expansion packs, and I just never got back into it because, frankly, I couldn't figure out where I was in the story. Same thing happened to you, right? Yeah, uh, I didn't play as much as you did. I, okay. I played maybe eight nine hours yeah. um i yeah. didn't give it that much of a fair and shot. me saying 15 is very generous yeah, that's... um but yeah i mean we i had difficulties i kept redoing missions yeah. on accident because i'd pick it up and try to play and i'd play for 30 minutes to an hour yeah and then i wouldn't touch it for another two weeks and, yeah and the map was not very forgiving like the map didn't really tell you where they said you know map said here's all your missions mm-hmm. So you click on a mission, like, oh, I don't think I've done this one, Come, like, only to find out 10 minutes in, like, oh, yeah, I, I've, I've already done this. See, I think the difficult thing about Destiny for a lot of people, and especially for me, is that, um, you know, the team that makes Destiny made um, the first, I believe the first three, or, yeah, the first three uh, or four uh, Halo games, maybe even five Halo games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I know that you kind of had a, a difficult past with the Halo series. It's like, I enjoyed most of it. Um, I've, I've beaten the majority of the games. So it's like, you, I kind of wanted a, a Halo-type experience that I could play on PlayStation. That's what I wanted out of it. And especially with Destiny 1, you don't get that experience much at all. Yeah, um, so I loved the first Halo. I, I, I was obsessed with it. I loved the first Halo. Halo 2 was good, but it wasn't the first one. Uh, And then it just really fell off for me, honestly. Um, It got too, I don't want to say complex, but it got very convoluted. It got very weird. Um, Yeah, Halo 3 just kind of felt like um, a prettier version of uh, Halo 1 and 2. I think Halo 2... Uh, brought a lot to the table when it came to the multiplayer uh, aspects of the game, and then three just kind of felt like a just like a sloppy attempt to take care of the story. Yeah. Um, so that being said, like I, I can't really play if it's not Halo One, I'm not playing Halo. Yeah. Um, no. Which it's kind of fun now, like w- with how far along we are. Yeah. Um, it's still fun having a land party with your original xboxes your original halo your big bertha controllers oh yeah that are way too big and you just yeah. you know you and eight people just go into town on some halo multiplayer yeah um, i mean that's a that's a, an experience that um the generation after us either didn't experience or probably won't experience yeah and um what well, what I, I kind of felt the same way about Destiny. 
uh, as to what you explained. It's like it's a Halo type of it's like Call of Duty, but it's Halo. Like you know, it's it's Battlefront, but it's outer space. Like it. Yeah. It was real intriguing, and I was real. I'm not gonna say disappointed with the first one uh, because what I did play of it, I did enjoy. It just yeah. it was too confusing. And it wasn't very user friendly. Um, yeah. You know, if you pick it, pick it up after not touching it for a month, it's you, over. You, it's you, done. Yeah, yeah you lose. Um, interest. My issue with it was that um, I didn't really feel like I had much of a reason to care about the story. Um, I felt like the environments and the missions were too repetitive. At least what I played. Now, for anybody listening to this that's a huge Destiny fan, we're full aware. We're fully aware, rather, that once you beat the game. And you have the mission aspect off of your back. You know, it's about grinding for gear. Uh, you know, playing the, the raids and the strike missions with your friends. And then you have the expansion uh, pa- uh, expansion uh, content, the DLC, like Taken King and all those other things. Um, I'm not opposed to digital content uh, after the game release. But when the digital content is more complete than the original game... And that is really what you were probably aiming for the entire time. I have a problem with that. Yeah. Like No Man's Sky. Oh, don't get me started on that garbage water. <laughs> Worst game of the decade. Now, if you buy No Man's Sky today, you probably get a pretty interesting game. But if you bought it day one like we did, you know, trying to be an early adopter, uh, it just sucks when something has so much potential and it doesn't crack it even a little bit. I took um, off work for No Man's Sky. Oh, really? I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go to these planets. I gotta grind and get these minerals, and I gotta yeah. corner the market before anybody else, so that I can be the richest person in yeah. space. I played like four out, hours, and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Only to find out you don't interact with anybody in space. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like you're led to believe you're the only person survived that survived space right. other than robots. It's dumbest, and you never get to see what you look like. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say about Destiny, even though I had some issues with it, um, it had fantastic gameplay, a lot of cool ideas, and you could see where it, you saw where it could go. And looking back, the fact that it was on, that it was as good as it was, and did so many things well, and that it was a PS3, Xbox 360, uh, PS4, and Xbox One game. It's really kind of remarkable that it had as many things going for it as it did. So um, I'll get into what I've done with Destiny 2 real quick, but because I know you've done a lot more. Uh, and the things I like about it so far, you know, the graphics great. Uh, the great uh, shooting and gameplay are there. Uh, the story is a lot easier to grasp uh, so far. And um, I like the farm uh, better than I like the tower. Uh, you know, aspect and you. One thing you mentioned about No Man's Sky is that you never saw anybody. So even if I'm playing Destiny two by myself, which I am, I don't have PlayStation Plus right now. You know, I'm giving it a shot without it. I can go to the farm and still see other people playing the game. And just a little fact, if you didn't know, uh, it already has one million active users. Yeah. In less than a week or a week, that's a lot. So, it's almost like they heard 
my criticisms of the first one mm-hmm. um, and made this game catered to me. Like, I, I absolutely love Destiny 2. And I know that's not the case. You know, they made it for the, for the masses, not just for me. But really, well, like, that's... this game is so much better than the first one. I'm sure, like, your hardcore original Destiny users are, you know, have different feelings about it. But me trying to play Destiny and not being able to really get into it, I'm fully in. Yeah. Like, I, you've got me sold. I'm in Destiny 2. Yeah, that's go. a good feeling. So, are you at the point now where if they release expansion packs and things like that, you're willing to pick them up? Oh, yeah. I've already uh, bought the uh, expansion pass. How much is that? It was... 35 it was way too much 35 at launch yeah well wow. way too much well that's something i might kind of pick up down the road when i see how much i play it um and then just kind of see what that content's going to be like because if you tell me hey you got a great story and you have more stories down the pipeline i feel like okay this is something extra uh with the original destiny i felt cheated by that that i paid 60 bucks didn't get the full experience and then had to pay more money to get a full-fledged experience I was looking for. Um, now, I think what's interesting is that um, some of the hardcore Destiny players that you know I've seen interact online, uh, they're upset that you know all the gear and all the XP that they grinded for in the original doesn't carry over. Well, why would it? Um, a, I mean, Destiny 2 is not an expansion of Destiny. It's its own, it's this new game, you know? Yeah, like, I, I get where they're coming from. Yeah, but it doesn't make like you still get um, like a lot of the stuff that you worked hard for in Destiny. You still get it goes to your vault uh, on the farm. Like there's still plenty of things that you get to keep from Destiny. It just might not be what you're wanting. You you do get to keep stuff from the original. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I'd read that in an article today. Obviously, I don't have anything because. Oh yeah, I mean, you I, know, I didn't touch the first one. Yeah, and um, uh, I, I think like like just to put it in perspective for everybody, like I made it to level six in the first one. Um, the first one's been out for how long now? Years, um, like a year see. and a half, two maybe. I'm gonna say three. Okay, three years. so it's been out for that long. I, I, my highest level is six. Destiny two has been out a week, and I'm already level ten. Yeah. Um, I think they changed some of the leveling systems and all that stuff, but I definitely see your point. Uh, now, what I'd like to do is in a couple of weeks after getting some more time in, I, I, I might reach out and see if we have any, I guess, you know, hardcore Destiny experts, you know, from the original game and playing the game now. Because uh, I look online, most of the people that I have on my friends list are playing it. Um, so that's a that's a good thing. You know, I want there to be a, a healthy community so that... Uh, you know, that supports the game uh, because, you know, there's a lot of hardcore people that have already been there and that, you know, they deserve a good game like this. Um, And I like it enough to say that I want to cancel my pre-orders for the other stuff that I have coming out later this year. Wow. That's, that's saying something. Yeah. Because it's like you get to the point where you can only play so many games. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't know how much overlap there is between the different types of types of players, but I don't think Assassin's Creed is going to do well. Uh, I think it's going to be a down year for Call of Duty uh, because, sorry, more than likely, uh, 
uh, Battlefield did the uh, the old school war thing better than what Call of Duty is going to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Call of Duty fan. Um, you know, the preteen in me loves that series. Uh, but honestly, like, I if Destiny continues to grow and is as good as it is now, when yeah. when Call of Duty comes out, I'm not even going to touch Call of Duty. Yeah. Now, I guess another thing, too, is that Destiny is really a game of the future in a way because they don't put out a new disc every year. Uh, they improve the experience as you go, and they offer... Um, expansion packs that you don't have to buy you can still enjoy a lot of the game whereas Call of Duty says okay every year we're going to offer this new experience for 60 bucks and you have to restart everything on your XP uh, I, I just don't see where the logic is I, mean, I know it. I know Call of Duty is going to do well and I'll probably end up with it because I'm a sucker for um you know, history, so I like World War One, World War Two uh, campaigns, but do those campaigns hold your attention as well as futuristic weapons or as much as Black Ops? I still think Black Ops is probably the, the best Call of Duty they ever made. Oh, dude, I've... You know, Black Ops and the original Modern Warfare. That, that's what I was getting ready to say. Like, it's yeah. a toss-up between those two. Black yeah. Ops and Modern Warfare. I, I mean, I played the campaign for Modern Warfare at least six times. I, I love that game. And, you know, some of the decisions that they made last year where if you bought, I don't, they've had so many, you know, similar fucking names, you know, for these games. Yeah, Call of Duty Ghosts like, was terrible. Like, like Advanced was, Warfare. What was last year? Uh, good question. I think uh, Advanced Warfare, right? Wasn't it Advanced Warfare? Or Infinite Warfare? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Infinite Warfare. And if you bought the special edition of Infinite Warfare, you are supposed to get... Uh, modern warfare for free but if you don't keep your disc for infinite warfare you can't play modern warfare and now all of a sudden modern warfare is available by itself so I'm getting tired of getting fucked you know by these companies <laughs> that say oh you're not going to be able to do this without this yeah. and you know it's like oh well fuck our early adopters the people that pay 60 bucks on day one uh, so like the last few games that I've purchased, I don't pre-order. You know, you can't have my money until you until I figure out the game is good. Yeah, I, I do a lot of research now before I pre-order games. Yeah. Um, with the Switch, it's different because you know every game except for like Pokemon Tournament was on Wii U. Yeah. Uh, Mario Kart was on Wii U, uh, but the majority of the games that are coming out have never been seen before. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get into a situation like Zelda or like the Switch in general where, yeah. you know, it, it's such an, an amazing experience that yeah. you can't find it anywhere. Um, you know, it amazes me how many people still to this day say they can't find Switches in store. Like, I'm so glad I pre-ordered mine because I like I love my Switch. It is yeah. my favorite console. Which is saying something because it has a very small library. Yeah. Well, it, there's something about the experience that it offers. And, you know, that's why I'm looking at getting some games that I would normally get on PS4 on the Switch. Uh, for example, just about every year I'm suckered back into WWE uh, 2K. And I was thinking earlier, 
it's been a long time since I got a chance to play a wrestling game on a Nintendo console. That's always been a cool experience. Whether it's been on uh, the 64 with No Mercy or... Oh, such a good game. I still I still have it. That's an amazing game. Uh, or the great wrestling games they put out on uh, the GameCube. You know, there's just something about that connection. So my big thing with the Switch is, or Nintendo in general, is that I don't care what games look like when they're Nintendo games. As long as the gameplay is good, which a 99% is, we're good. But if I have to take a, a weaker experience technologically uh, to play it on the Switch as opposed to the PS4 or the Xbox, that's where we have a problem. So I'm going to wait and see you know, what WWE 2K looks like on the Switch. Gotcha. Well, I can tell you just from having Breath of the Wild on the Switch, uh, even in playing it as a portable instead of having it connected to the TV. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's just because my TV is, you know, I don't have 4K Ultra HD. Like, I've got a standard 50-inch Vizio. Yeah. The picture is just as good, like, sitting in my lap playing an RPG yeah. as it would be if I put, um, you know, Gears of War hmm. on my Xbox and hooked it up and started playing. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about the operating system that's okay. in the Switch, and I, I think that they've just cracked the surface. Like, I'm really yeah. excited about these games that are coming out. Well, um, everything that I've read is that it was a, it's been a difficult experience to get NBA 2K18 on the game because you have to program so much differently for the Switch. And that in FIFA... Um, that they had to take a lot of features out, or or they decided to. Yeah. Now, if you're, if the graphics are there, but you're having to take away features to make the graphics there, like yeah. no, I, I'd rather have the full experience. Well, you know, I I don't want to get into a, <laughs> uh, the rabbit hole of Nintendo's decision making, but it did surprise me that they doubled down and said, we don't care as much about graphics and technology as we do portability and having a unique console. Now, Switch is selling great. Um, I'm going to buy one uh, probably as soon as Mario comes out. Um, and then I will play Zelda, but I just didn't feel comfortable paying 300 bucks, you know, for one game at that time. Uh, but everything feels really stale on the other end. You know, Destiny 2 is fun, but it's still a sequel. Uh, I love my sports games. Uh, and then there's Call of Duty. Then there's all the other stuff, uh, like Assassin's Creed. Uh, yeah, the Egypt idea is cool. Uh, I might pick it up, but I'm done paying sixty bucks for sequels. You know, yeah, it's just over. I, it's totally, over for me. Yeah, I totally understand that. I um, and you know there are so many games coming out. I have so many games pre-ordered. Um, I had my game library, I had about 20 to 30 games in between, uh, you know, mixing my PS4 with my, um, Xbox one. Yeah. And that's way too many. Like there were games that I hadn't even played. Yeah. Um, so waste of money. Yeah. So what I did, I just traded them all in. Like, yes, I, I got screwed. Obviously. Is that how you got the switch? Uh, No. Um, okay. This was just like two months ago. Okay. Um, 
But you know, I had I had some pretty fun games. It's just I had too many. Yeah. And um, so I traded them all in, paid off Madden, paid off 2K, paid mm-hmm. off um, Super Mario Odyssey. Um, you have Shadow of War coming out, don't you? Yeah, and I, I paid that off as well. Um, so I think I'm in a good spot because I'm starting fresh. The only game I kept yeah. when I traded everything in was uh, Final Fantasy because it's just so amazing. Yeah. Like, that, that game is I, incredible. Uh, I did the same thing a few months ago because in a weird way it gives me anxiety. <laughs> to have these you, games. You have too many options. Like, what, and, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the same thing happens every year where six to eight games come out in a three-month span, and then I try to get them, play them, and move on. Um, my life doesn't work that, that way anymore. So, yeah, you know, sports games get repetitive, repetitive but, you know, 2K is different, slightly different every year. Um, Madden is Madden. You know, I'll play it for a couple months. You know, put it down, and I might pick it up again. Uh, but so I think the Switch might offer that kind of outlet to do something different. Uh, well, we're kind of running out of time here, so I just want to ask you one question. We didn't get to everything we wanted to this week, so that's a good feeling. You know, yeah. we can uh, move on and do next week too. Um, so this Friday, technically Thursday at nine, if you're going to a local GameStop, you can pick up NBA Two K eighteen. It's at 9? The GameStop that I pre-ordered at says Thursday at 9. So I'm you might want to check, check on that. On mine, yeah. So just real quick, what is your favorite NBA 2K of all time? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I want to say 2K12? Wasn't that... Oh, whichever one had the Michael Jordan experience. Uh, NBA 2K11. So 11. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that one was incredible. Okay. Um, my absolute favorite because, you know, you basically get to groom Michael Jordan. You get to relive all of his greatest moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to have, like, a my career with him. Like, it's just so cool. Like, it, right. it by far is my favorite... NBA 2K. That's that's probably my top two or three, but I'm going to go with uh, NBA 2K2 on the Dreamcast. See, uh, and I think that's where I have a disadvantage because I didn't start playing 2K uh, until 2K8. I was a big believer in NBA Live. and NBA it, Live was good. It, it, uh, it crushed my dreams. It ate my soul. But when I had a Dreamcast, I don't even remember if NBA Live was available. I mean, I'm sure it was, but... Um, I remember getting NBA 2K2, and that wasn't even the first NBA 2K I played, but it was the first one that blew my mind. Uh, if you look back at some of the graphics for NBA 2K2, you know the Dreamcast was so far ahead of its time. Uh, as much as the gameplay has changed, in a lot of ways it feels the same. <clears throat> you know that overall feeling, and I just remember you're just playing it nonstop, and you know it's the only game where I've purchased every single version of it. I've had it every single version of it at one point. So uh, I'm excited for it. And then uh, we'll be back next week with that. Uh, yeah, to talk about NBA 2K18. Uh, maybe if you see it, we can go with, uh, go with a review on that. And uh, we can do a you know part two of this video game episode. Uh, so uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to episode eight of Nerds Landing. Uh, as always, uh, when you see it on Facebook, like it, share it, tell your friends. Tweet it. 
There we go. Shout out uh, to your mama. Yes, sir. And if uh, you're a huge Destiny 2 fan uh, and you want to come on the show, just message us. We might be able to arrange that. Uh, until then, have a good week. Latest on the Minji. Just so people know, that's a reference from I Love You Man. That is going to throw off a lot of people. but Good. This just shows you how many people listen. And scene.